We've been covering the basics of Christian theology. And by basics, what we've meant is in the base ideas that we're going over. Now, there's always nitty-gritty details we can argue about. But the base ideas we have covered are the non-negotiables as far as Christianity goes. If you disagree with any of the four things we've gone over, you can't put yourself in the circle of Christian, at the very least, the circle of Protestant. Um, but for the most part, just Christian in general, uh, you don't belong in the circle if you don't agree with those things. So do you remember what any of them were? <laughs> All right, so creational, I'm sorry, Trinitarian monotheism is the big fancy mouthful word, but we believe in one God who is creator, who exists in three person somehow. We didn't explain how, just that. That's how he is. All right, what was, what else did we cover? Non-negotiables. Five solos. Five solos was last week, which is our doctrine of salvation. So grace alone, faith alone, and Christ alone. We get this from scripture alone, and it's all to the glory of God alone. The historical gospel events, which is chiefly the, the death and resurrection, but we included the, the um, incarnation, and, and we also included the ascension, which are parts of that. But the idea of the death and resurrection of Christ. So now, um, number four, one that is interestingly not well taught um, currently, and at least in American Christianity, can't speak for other places, is bodily resurrection. Um, so we're just going to call it the resurrection. It's interestingly enough, it is in all of the early creeds. It's usually the last statement, um, the resurrection of dead and the, the life everlasting, what we believe in. And uh, it's a foundational part of Christianity. And I've only been to a handful of funerals in my life where I felt like the pastor knew what this doctrine was. Um, it's just a very poorly understood topic. Um, and because it's been poorly taught, there's a lot of what I call folk theology that has built up over the last few generations on this topic. And so much so that even one of my favorite hymns um, contains a line that doesn't understand the resurrection, um, Sweet Hour of Prayer. Y'all know that song? I love that song. I just, I rewrote it one time and saved it somewhere. I'm I like, I want to make an official, official republication of the song, but it, I think it's the last verse. Um, it says this, robe of flesh I'll drop and rise to gain the everlasting prize and Sing while passing through the air, farewell, farewell, sweet hour of prayer. That's Greek Gnosticism. That's not Christian doctrine. And so as much as I love every other bit of the song, that part is technically not true. And so we're going to cover exactly what that is, what we're talking about. So we have a very interesting topic, and I usually, last, well, I, I teach this topic specifically at the Home of Grace, and I do it over three hours. So I've taken all that content and boiled it down into um, 45 minutes. So I'm just saying we're going to try. That's what we're getting into. I have restructured it in hopes that it will move much, much, much more quickly. So let's just think about um, a general idea of man's timeline. That's what you have on your paper. So this is the global timeline, not necessarily your individual timeline. So we don't all die at the same time. 
not all born at the same time. So we're looking at it from the perspective of history. This line, we're going to condense all eschatology into that line. So this is, we'll call that, um, I'll just say the end. And by that I mean, regardless of where you fall in the different branches of eschatology, if you have a seven-year tribulation, that all happens on the line. Okay, we're not we're not going to blow that out and get any more specific than the one line. Because compared to you know several millennia, seven years are going to be a line anyway. Yeah. You know, so so we're going to look at it from that perspective. And so after this is what we're going to call heaven. For now, we're going to change the name in a minute. We're going to say heaven. So where will we be forever? In heaven. Now, somebody said on earth. All right, that is correct, but we'll get there. That's the piece that's often is preached on but not explained, and so because of that, poorly understood. So let's think about, at the moment, just the Jewish perspective of how all of this works. And by Jewish, I really mean Old Testament perspective. So before we get to the New Testament, in the Old Testament, how did they view this stuff? That's what we're going to look at first. Now, in the earlier parts of the Old Testament, it's not very clear that they know anything happens after life um, in resurrection sense. It's not until the later parts of the New Testament that it gets clear. So we're going to ask the question from the latter part of the Old Testament and think about what happens. So a person dies. you got a person right here on the timeline. They used to be a baby. And they were, you got me, right? Grew up, now they're an adult, and then, boom, dead. What do you do with that dead person? Bury them. Bury them. It's a very Jewish thing to do. You put them, and here's my imagery for that, it's going to be this. Where is it that you put their body? In the, in the ground. There's an Old Testament term for that. Shield. Shield. So, that's going to lead us to the first basic issue with the doctrine of resurrection. The fact that this exists tells us something is wrong. You know, with me? What's, what's going wrong in this scenario from birth to shield? Sin. <laughs> right, death. <laughs> you know, so something has gone wrong with the story. So, let's talk about the human predicament. Now that big section of that we're going to fill that timeline in a lot more as we go. So so we'll we'll kind of go back and forth. So right now we're to the first blank. So first before we explain exactly what the problem is, <coughs> let's talk about what a human person is. Can you think of the two things that make a human person? Flesh and spirit. Very good. So we got I'm going to call it body and spirit. Two things. One body and one spirit equals how many people? One. One person. If you have two people, how many bodies do you have? Two. How many spirits do you have? Two. Two. If you have Jesus, does Jesus have a body? Yep. Yes. Does Jesus have a spirit? Yep. A human spirit? Yep. Yes. 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 That was the incarnation last week. So human person <laughs> is these two things. Now we have to be careful. In Greek theology, which is not Christian theology, a human is one of these who has one of these. 
you hear the difference? What are we saying a human person is? Both. Both. All right? Not a spirit that's inhabiting a body. We do this. This infiltrates culture from top to bottom. In movies, in children's stuff, you can take a person out of their body, hypothetically, even put them in a different body. Right? You ever seen that happen in any sort of show? But we, we have a concept for that. That's Greek theology. That's how that works. The human body is kind of the robot, and the spirit is the programming. That is not what Christianity teaches. You are that body and that spirit. You're both pieces. It's not that you're in one. So that's part of what's wrong with that song, this sweet hour prayer, this robe of flesh, I'll drop and rise. I'm going to leave the body here and go to heaven. That's not how that works. So we go to a funeral, hypothetically, and I hear this kind of stuff all the time. So the preacher's preaching. So he's up here. And what's usually right here at most American funerals? The casket. And there's, I'll hear a statement like this. It's like, that's not granny. Because granny's, granny's in heaven. And I want to say, open the casket. It looks like granny to me. I don't know. I mean, what, can I go spit on that body? Can I slap it around? How would the family feel? Not too good. You think, you think I might get shot in the south? You know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, let, let me desecrate this body because it's not granny. It's just tissue. No. That's granny. That is granny. And I want to put granny in granny's spot. That's why we pay all this money to give her, get her a coffin, to get her a plot, maybe a spot in a, what do you call it, a mausoleum thing. Yeah, we, we want to save the body because that's granny. It's not all of granny. We already know that there's something else going on, right? Granny is not just here. She's also somewhere else at the same time. That's because granny is two things, and by death, we kind of mean separation. The two things break apart in some sort of way. You know, follow what I'm saying so far? So the body is here, and the spirit, well, we'll get to where the spirit goes, but they're not in the same place at the same time. Okay, so biblically speaking, we, there should be an R there, we are dead in spirit because of sin. Right, that's in Ephesians 2, 1. Literally says you were dead in your trespasses and sins. All right. Does it mean then that biblically speaking, death means you have no spirit? It's not what it means at all. Does it mean that spirit's not conscious or not active? doesn't mean that either. It goes three verses worth of what that dead spirit is doing. You are following the course of the world. You're worshiping the idols of Satan's choosing. And you're following the sinful desires of your flesh. That's what your dead spirit is doing. You're the walking dead. Like You're active. You're doing stuff. But you are broken. That's what we mean by sin. That spirit in you is dead. Is there any implication to the body because your spirit is dead? Any guesses? You're going to die. You are going to die. We will die bodily because of sin. This one will 
die. You see that in Romans 5? Of course, a lot of other scriptures, but that's the clearest teaching on it is Romans 5. I'm not going there because I want to unpack a different scripture and spend more time there later. So a human person is those two things. At what point did this person die bodily? Here, right? Okay. But what about spiritually? Born that way. Right? You, you, sin, sin is part of the problem from day one. You've got spiritual death going on immediately. And we don't mean non-existent or not conscious. You're quite conscious. You sin knowingly. You sin on purpose. You sin because you want to. This is what you do. You are these two things. This is our problem. Okay, so back to the Old Testament. So this was their belief. You, you were a baby. You grew up. You became an adult. And then you died. They put you in Sheol. Who goes to Sheol in the Old Testament? Everyone, the dead, every dead person goes to the same place. Well, all we mean by that is we bury your body. Or in their case, they put you in a box, put you in a grave, put you in a tomb, put you somewhere out of sight, and then you decompose, and they put you in a smaller box, and they put you in a smaller box to take up less space, but they saved the body. They had a very high view of the body, but that's only answering the question of what happens to that, right? It's in the grave. It's in Sheol. But before we get to the New Testament and work out all the pieces, this is their understanding of how the world works. All this time goes by, and then the day happens, and all those people, I'm going to draw a line. It's not quite fair to say there's a line once eternity starts, because we don't quantify time. We'll get into the quantum mechanics of that. But, all right, so anyway, what happens is they believe at the end of time, the bodies that went down would come back up. You follow what I'm saying? And are we talking about the body or the spirit here when we draw that illustration? The body. We're talking about the physical body. This was Jewish eschatology. This is how their system works. So if you see on the timeline, this is that line. Um, we'll put the cross on here in a minute. But everybody went to Sheol, and in the end, some people, it's not real clear in the Old Testament who or how, but some people pop up on the other side. Pop up. I'm just using pop up to say resurrection. Okay? So that's what happens. All right, so let's talk about the biblical concept of resurrection in general. All right, the resurrection. Yes, yes. So... I am going to say that, but I haven't said it yet. Okay. So, we'll, we'll cover that. All right. Let's um, Sorry. let's fill in the next blank, and then we're going to go to a biblical <laughs> illustration of this. All right, so, the resurrection is the belief that at the end of time, God will bodily raise people back to life to live in a perfect Heaven on earth. This has been God's plan from day one. Really not even from day one. From the four days that he was going to unite all things in heaven on earth through Christ. This has always been the plan. You can see this scattered throughout the New and Old Testament. Um, it's very clear in really both Testaments that this was God's plan all along. Heaven and earth would become the same place. All right, now with that in mind, 
Let's look at a very, very, very famous passage of Scripture. This is John chapter 11. And what happens in John chapter 11? Oh, you don't know this one. It's the passage where Jesus weeps. Raises Lazarus from the dead. Okay. So, we'll skip the book. We're going to pick up in verse 17 in just a moment. John 11, 17. So just to remind you of the scenario, um, Jesus is with the disciples, and he has left Judea, or the area where Jerusalem, where Bethany is. He's, he's gone because they were trying to kill him. So he's out of town. And he gets word from Mary and Martha, who are sisters, and their brother, Lazarus, is sick, and they send word to Jesus to get Jesus to come heal Lazarus. So Jesus, because he loved him, we're told, doesn't come. He waits several days, and then he comes, and when he finally finally gets there, Lazarus is very dead. He's been in the tomb for four days. Now, why do you think the Bible would emphasize he's been in the tomb for four days? The K at this point. There's no question of, uh, you know, is is this inability to tell? We're still having this wake period. No, he stinks. He's dead, dead. Very, very dead at this point. So Jesus finally shows up, and uh, let's start in let's start in verse 20. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now what's Martha telling Jesus there? This, this, this is your where, fault. Where were you? Where, where were you? Could have fixed this, and you didn't come. I did my job. I told you. Of course, I think she knows she didn't have to, but she did anyway, and she's upset. But even now, verse twenty-two. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. What's she hinting at there? She didn't say it outright, but I think we all know what she's saying. You can still fix this. This is. It's not beyond your control. I know you can make this happen. Um, so Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. What's Jesus talking about? Right. Is that what Martha hears him say? No. No, that's not what Martha hears. Read verse 24. Martha said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Well, when's the last day? It's here. She says, I know he'll raise then. That's not what I'm asking you to do. Right? In other words, she's saying, I get this. Theologically, I'll see him again. Fine. That's not what I'm talking about. You see what he's saying? This is the system they're working in. They believe they're good Jews. In fact, the debate between the Pharisees and the Sadducees was on whether or not this happened. The Bible squarely takes the Pharisee side on this. The Pharisees questioned Jesus in Matthew 22 on this. Do you all remember that from several months ago? They come up and give that scenario about the man married the woman, and he died, and the brother married the woman, and down to seven brothers, and they all died. Whose wife will she be in the resurrection? And he's like, guys, you all are dumb. You're so confused about how this process works. And then he proves the resurrection by proving the intermediate state, but we'll get into that in a minute. But he's, he's making a very strong argument that even Deuteronomy, 
Even Exodus, the very first books of the Bible, showed us that this was always the plan. So Jesus is not denying that. And I think in verse 23, was it 23 when he said that? Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. I think he's talking about this right there in that verse. I don't think he's told her yet what he's about to do. Um, That's what she hears, and I do think that's what he was saying, that uh, your brother will rise again. And she says, I know, Jesus, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. So we all die at different times, but we would all raise on the last day. Everybody together. All right, so, of course, you know what he does. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And, of course, Martha says, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. I don't think he's clearly stated it yet. All he really said there is, Martha, I'm the resurrection. I'm why this is possible. I'm how you get to be part of this. Does everybody experience the type of resurrection Jesus is talking about? Not this kind. Only believers get this kind. He's saying, I'm how you get that kind. You want to pop up on this side and have eternal life? It's through me. It's through me alone. Now, we won't read the rest of the story, but you know how it goes. So he goes and talks to Mary, and with Mary, it's interesting, he doesn't get theological with her. He just cries. And it's like, that's what Mary needed. But then when all that is done, Jesus goes over to the tomb, and he cries out, Lazarus, come out. And what does Lazarus do? Comes out. So did Lazarus... Raised from the dead in this sense. He did not. All right, flip the page. I just have a visual illustration for you there. And uh, let's think about the illustration. I'm going to call this death. So Lazarus is here. He's lived his life. At some point he died. And we would say the body goes somewhere and the spirit somewhere else. We usually call this in common culture the afterlife. Now, why do we call it the afterlife? Because this part was life, and that's the thing that comes after, right? Yeah, that's what we mean by afterlife. So he's doing something. We'll get into what later, but he's somewhere. His body was in the tomb, and Lazarus is in this afterlife place, and then when Jesus raised him from the dead, what happened? He pops back out and gets to repeat the process. Where is Lazarus today? He's back here in death. So really, we could say Jesus raised him to life, or we could say Jesus made him die twice. However you want to look at it, same thing, same consequence. This is why I know God's plan for you is never healing in the long run, because God's plan for you is to die. But I could also say God's plan for you in the long run is always healing because the doctrine of the resurrection is that there's something after death. Follow me here? This is resurrection. Has Lazarus experienced resurrection? No. He has not. He's only done this life. He's done death that comes after it, but he's not done the peace that comes after that. 
So this is a timeline. We'll say this is a reset point, but this point goes in one direction and one direction only. You cannot die once you're on this timeline. It's not possible by definition. So what kind of resurrection has Jesus done? It's not this one. It's this one. So when we say Jesus raised from the dead, this is what Jesus did. He came out on the <clears throat> other side. So if this is the afterlife, what can we call this? Oh, oh, eternal life is the correct answer. But what I was going for is life after the afterlife. I think we should call it that. Do you believe in the afterlife? No, but I believe in the life after the afterlife. And people will be like, what? And now you can, you can tell them, you know, whatever. About the doctrine of the resurrection. All right, y'all follow the principle here. The difference between what Lazarus did and what Jesus did Lazarus repeated this side of the circle. Jesus came out on the other side. And the doctrine here is that we all do that eventually. So we could camp out here for a few thousand years, a couple days. It just depends on where you die on the global timeline. So Moses has been in the circle for a long time. So no question I won't spend as much time in the circle as Moses is. You follow what I mean? Because he's literally been there for a few thousand years already. But I haven't been. And hopefully I won't go there tonight. That's not the plan, anyway. Uh, but we will plan to get here. All right, so back to the front page. So where we leave off? So the resurrection is the raising of our bodies at the end of time. The end. End of time. And then Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection. All right, this is where it gets awesome. Erase that, do you? So here, Old Testament history is that way. It's the cross. And they use just a, a cross and an up arrow as the Jesus event. Jesus is crucified, buried. And then rose from the dead. But when does resurrection happen according to everything we've said so far? Here. When we're saying Jesus did this piece way back here. Time problem. Right? That's not what the Old Testament made us think. That's not what it seemed like was happening when Jesus was talking in the New Testament. But lo and behold, he didn't wait to do resurrection at the end of time. He did it right slap dab in the middle of human history. So here's what we're saying is happening when Jesus did that. He took some of heaven and he drug it back over our timeline. Does that make sense? He's reaching forward into time by his resurrection and he is pulling heaven an overlap of the future age over the top of the current age. And he accomplished that by the resurrection. So, what is it that's here that came from here? Because it's not bodily resurrection, right? How many people have raised from the dead in the way Jesus did so far? Not just him. So in what sense has the resurrection, has the future through the resurrection been carried over onto now? 
can think of any way? Is there any benefit to the resurrection right now at this moment? Y'all are all like right there with, with the answer. Do what? Holy Spirit is the one who causes it to happen. All right, let's go back to the beginning. Your two things, right? Is any part of that equation already dead? So what can the power of the resurrection do for you immediately? Resurrect your spirit. You can be made alive. Right now, in spirit. That's literal. This isn't just metaphor for the Christian life. This is literal belief in Christianity that your spirit is risen from the dead. There's some good old-timey lingo for that. Born again. New birth. Recreation. Conversion really is this moment. All right, but let's, so biblical terms for resurrection, that's this piece, biblical terms for that. One has already been said, eternal life. In fact, eternal life literally means resurrection. It does not mean life that goes on forever. It is life that goes on forever, but that's not what the word means. It means resurrection. And since you're in a resurrected body that can't die in an age that lasts forever, then it's also forever. But that's not what the word means. You follow what I'm saying? So the word eternal, biblically speaking, is not a reference to time. It's a reference, it's a spatial reference. It's an age reference. You're living in this age now. This is the age that is to come. So if you have life now, It'd be this age life, or you can have life that's in this age. And what do we call this age? Eternity. So you can have eternal life, life in the eternal age. There's no time. The point is not time. The point is where. You get to live in the heaven on earth age. That's what eternal life means. You follow me? It does last forever. But that's not the point of the word. Everybody, I'm getting a lot of weird glare, so I'm not sure if <laughs> y'all are with me on that or not. Okay, so let's apply our knowledge. Let's see if we can make sense. Uh, this was the global timeline. Now let's think about a person's individual timeline. What happens to you during this narrative? And I'm going to do it in the form of a table. See the overview of an individual timeline. So let's start with the believer. Body and spirit. Oh, did I? Yeah, I only gave you all the first one, didn't I? Eternal life. Next is, you'll see this lingo a lot in Paul, redemption of our bodies. Did I give you enough space for that? I probably didn't, did I? That was number two. Redemption of our bodies. And the third term is glorification. Those are all references to the resurrection. And also, 
Zoe, yeah, life, yes. Well, the idea would be it is, it would be life as opposed to death. The, The word life itself there is not a reference to physical or spiritual. It's just a reference to quality. So, like... Well, it's just about, well, like, what do you mean by God's life? And when he breathes into us. Yeah, so that would be breath, pneuma. I mean, like, not, what? I'm not sure I follow the question entirely, so I'm struggling yeah, I to. I guess I'm just questioning Zoe. Like, like, what does the Greek word mean? Or is that, is, is that what we're getting? It makes us spiritually alive, it's not him. Okay, well, I guess the counter question would be someone who's spiritually dead, do they have Zoe? I I would say someone who is spiritually dead has Zoe. Zoe, to use a classical. So, there is a difference because when we're born, we have breath. Mm Well, one thing, and just a caution here in terms of, like, biblical language studies, is we have a tendency to take theological concepts and make Greek words represent those concepts when they don't. So, like, if you've ever heard someone talk about agape love versus phileo love versus eros love, like, we have very solid distinctions between those concepts, but the Greek words don't necessarily follow those distinctions. So... Agape could reference any of the three. And so it's more of we have a concept that sometimes a Greek word may reference that concept, but a lot of times it doesn't. Does that make sense at all? Like there's nothing about the Greek word phileo that means brotherly love. Um, it, it's just, it's a, it works for us, but it's just not a biblical concept or Greek concept. Does that make sense at all? I feel like I'm, I'm getting into the weeds. I need to back up. Okay, let's do our chart. So, this is just an individual person's timeline. They're born, they're a human being, and they're living and breathing and old enough to sin. Let's just start there instead of getting into the original sin conversation. Let's just start with a person who's old enough to sin. All right, what would we say their natural state is with regard to their body? Alive. They're alive. Well, would you say it is the proper state of being alive? Think about Adam and Eve. Did anything change physically because of the fall? Death became an option, but a lot more than death became an option. The work, illness. Illness, the, the toil itself. Like we would say, even just from a biological perspective, we're not what we're supposed to be. I'm going to use the word broken. You could say fallen. Whatever term works for you there. But the idea that you're not what you ought to be. You're not Adam pre-fall. You're Adam post-fall. But what about your spiritual state? What would you say your spirit is? The biblical term. You said it already. Dead. 
right, then on your timeline, you get saved. Anything changed on the body part? No, exactly the same. Does anything change on the spirit part? Made alive. Now, just a quick jab for another theological topic. By definition, what does it mean to be raised from the dead? Not in the Lazarus way, but in the Jesus way. What's the key difference? You can't die again. You can't die again. Can your spirit die once it's been made alive? No. Not if that's what our definition is. It's a one-way trip. Furthermore, it never gets any more resurrected than it already is. Your spirit is as raised from the dead as it ever will be. Let that sink in for a minute. That's awesome. All right, but then you die. Is, yeah, is that what's on your thing? Yeah. I was trying to make it simpler, but I filled that in already. I just mean you die. <laughs> it's a chart. Intermediate is just a really fancy way of saying in between. In between you being alive and then your final resting place. So we've on our big timeline, this is when someone's in Sheol, but the resurrection hasn't happened. What's going on with them? That's the question at hand. Where is your body during the intermediate state? In the, we're going to say in the grave. I mean, it could also be at the bottom of the ocean. It could also be in the belly of a lion. It could be in a jar. It could be molecules floating around in the air. You know, but it's here. It's it's here. And ideally, it's in a grave somewhere. You know, if your body was taken care of. But where is your spirit? It's certainly not in the body. In fact, that's what we mean by death, right? That the spirit has left. So where is your spirit? Because it's been made alive. Do you think it's dead now? No. Can't be dead. So what can it be? I'm going to say present with Jesus. That was a good way to say it. There are people who teach the doctrine of soul sleep. Okay? That doctrine is formally denied in the New Testament. And so I, it's shocking to me that it has any traction at all. Um, and historically, the church did not believe in soul sleep. The, and soul sleep is the idea that you just kind of spiritually, you're alive, you just take a nap. And then you wake up on the other side. Um, so this was a formal debate between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And like I said earlier in Matthew 22, when Jesus is um, attacked on his doctrine of resurrection, he proves resurrection by proving conscious existence during the intermediate state. Because he doesn't have an example of resurrection in the Old Testament, not directly, not in scriptures the Sadducees would read. So he has to use something from the Torah, and the Torah specifically embraces the intermediate state when it says, God's talking to Moses, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He just proved the intermediate state. How did he do that? present tense. He did not say I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am still right now the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's a formal difference between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees believed in both the intermediate state 
and the state that came next, the Sadducees didn't believe in either. Paul firmly implies and explains this one. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. His concept, the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. Everything in the New Testament points towards this concept, present with Jesus immediately upon death. Does that make sense? There's a long, I could go into a much more elaborate argument involving Greek words, but I don't have time. But if you want to wait afterwards, we can go there. That's so, kind of like where the secular world, I think, would say is the end. Yeah, so most people, and I grew up with this, my doctrine of heaven was just this thing. You go to heaven, probably get angel's wings, and a harp, and a white robe, and a halo, if you're good enough, and you float around, and you play harps. But where did I get that theology from? Cartoons. Looney Tunes. What happens when you die in Looney Tunes? That's what you do. You float up in heaven. And my picture, my imagination of heaven was just spirits floating around. Spirits because where's your body? Here. That is nowhere in Scripture. That's not. This is a temporary holding place at best. And this is official church teaching for two millennia. This isn't Brian Celo theology. This is Christianity for two millennia, and Judaism for millennia before it said there was something after that. So we're going to call this eternity. Is that what I put on there? Eternal. 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 Oh, my goodness. Y'all know what I'm trying to say. (laughs) Did I spell it right on the paper? (laughs) All right. There we go. Now is eternity. That's an end. <laughs> oh, 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 okay. There we go. So what happens to the body there? It's reunited it's with the spirit. Alright, it's raised to I'm gonna say glorified body. So what happens with the spirit then? I want to get into an argument on eschatology, but my best example of this in the New Testament is actually the the rapture passage in 1 Thessalonians. Because the dead in Christ do what? Rise. Rise first. But then when Jesus, in the same paragraph, when Jesus comes back, he brings with him those who had already gone before us. Well, how can they rise and come with him at the same time? Because there's a body in the ground and there's a spirit in heaven, and they come together. That is the concept of the resurrection. And so, reunited with the body. That's what a saved person does. All right, can we rerun the illustration real quick and ask the same question of a lost person? What do they do? Body, any difference on the natural state? No, so still broken. That carries over because they don't get saved, right? And unless the spirit is dead, carries over because they don't get saved. So the first two blanks are the same. They die. What happens to the body? That part's the same too. It's in the grave. But what about here? They're spiritually dead. What happens to them? What's the New Testament teaching? Hell. Hell. That's exactly what hell is. There's no hell in eternity. Hell is a temporary thing. 
And that's where it is. So dead in hell. And when we say dead, when your spirit was dead here, was it conscious and active? Yes. Yes. Is it conscious and active here? Yes, it is. There's no difference. Dead in hell. Then eternity comes, and what happens to that person who's in the grave? Well, they're getting given a body. They're raised. It doesn't say the glorified body, actually. Raised, I'm just saying body. I don't know what that body's going to look like. The Bible does not describe this body anywhere in the New Testament, and I don't know that it's recognized in the Old Testament. (coughs) We know it feels pain. Yes. I I think think we can assume that much easily. It's physical. And say that because the word resurrection is used. There's teeth that can be gnashed. So you get your teeth back. So if you have dentures, you do get teeth back. Okay? All right, and what happens to the spirit in that case? Again, it is reunited. Those are the individual timelines. So if I'm at a funeral and Granny's in the casket, can I say that Granny's not suffering of cancer anymore? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The body died. She's not suffering of cancer anymore. Okay, hold on. Granny's a Christian, and that's affirmed, okay? <laughs> let's, let's use the illustration that way. All right, so I can say Granny's not suffering anymore. And I can say, can I say Granny's with Jesus right now? Yes, I can can I say Granny isn't suffering anymore because Granny's got her new body and she's walking around and she's in the flesh again? No. That's not true yet. That's future. That has not happened. That's why we're keeping this body. Will Granny use that body again? Or will she just get a new one? i got two different answers, I think. Yes. <laughs> what did Jesus do? He had the same body. Same body. body. Jesus, it was so much the same body. He had holes in his hands. The holes are still there. Mary recognized him by his voice alone. The guys on the road to Emmaus who didn't recognize him, this always gets thrown out there. It's expressly said in Luke 24, or is that 22? I think it's 24, that uh, it was kept from them. Because if it hadn't been kept from them, it would have been absolutely obvious that this was Jesus. Literally, same body. And so, are you going to look like you in heaven? I think essentially yes. You will look like you. It's the same body, reunited. All right, so we've got a few blanks on the back, and uh, we don't have much time, so let's fill these in. So the benefits of bodily resurrection. So we will have immortal bodies that are gloriously perfect. Um, and I'm getting most of this from 1 Corinthians 15. So you can go back and read that. The whole chapter is on resurrection. Um, and most of our doctrine of what that glorified body looks like comes directly from 1 Corinthians 15. So that's that in Daniel chapter 12. Um, but the clearer picture, the reason we call it glorification is really because of Daniel chapter 12, because we'll rise and shine like the stars. And glory technically is a reference to light and shining. So we call that a a shining body, just like Jesus in his transfiguration was shining. Will we literally shine? Uh, Maybe, I don't know, but uh, it'll be a glorified body nonetheless. 
Okay? We will be fully human. The question I get most often here is, we're going to be able to fly, we're going to be able to walk through walls, because Jesus walked through walls in his resurrected body. But Jesus was God. Okay? He didn't quit being God at any point. And so, even though his body is not omnipotent, he is. <laughs> and so he can walk through a wall. Because he's God. Does that make sense? So, well, I mean, not just by default. I think it would still be a miraculous work if you walked on water on the other side. Um, but you'll be human. Paul goes through a whole illustration there. You, you take a seed and you bury it. And what grows up when you from that seed that you bury? Whatever you bury. You don't get angel pop up on the other side. You don't get superhero pop up on the other side. You get a human. You're not a mutant. You're not a metahuman. You're whatever the comic books are. No, you're just a human being when you start and when you finish. We get to do, third blank, we get to do physical life again, but without death and suffering. Can you really imagine what that's going to be like? Eternity on a physical planet in a physical body. And I do believe it'll be fundamentally the same place. Of course, it'll alter in some significant ways. But hypothetically, there may still be a Mount Everest. And if you can't die, maybe you can climb it, you know? (laughs) Like, so the question is, will we have airplanes and could you jump out of them without a parachute? And my answer is, well, maybe in the resurrection, you'll be smart enough not to. <laughs> you know? So, and maybe you just wouldn't die, but I don't know. That, that's we're getting into the, just the weeds at that point. All right, benefits of spiritual resurrection. So this is the now part. The power of Jesus' resurrection does an immediate work on the believer at the moment of conversion. Immediate and conversion. And a few terms for this in the New Testament. We call this new birth. We also call it being born again. New birth, being born again. Um, regeneration, if you want a theological term, is a reference to that work. And Paul uses the expression newness of life in Romans chapter 6. Newness of life. So just to restate that, then the immediate effect of resurrection on the believer is that we are made alive in Christ. This is a reference to the resurrection. We're made alive in Christ. And then number four, and this is the key, we see this, you can't read Paul without getting this from his message. We have power to overcome sin and glorify God. In fact, Paul is explicit. The power of the resurrection is what causes this. That's why we can defeat sin. That's why we can overcome sin. That's why we can live lives that please him. It's because of the resurrection power applied in us right now not later right now so that's the immediate benefits of the resurrection versus the bodily which is later benefits of the resurrection okay any questions on this topic all right we talked about it a little bit before but um you've got a, an ancient human died four thousand years ago there's nothing left but dust. correct so you don't really have a body there to bring back. Right. The molecules and so on. Sure, sure. Same with cremation. You don't necessarily have a body there. Yeah. But yeah. this, um, from what I, when, when you and I have talked about it and what I've read and so on, 
we don't have to be buried. Right. We can be cremated or whatever because you're going to have a new body. Maybe it's made from the molecules of whatever your old body was floating around somewhere. Yeah. Okay, let me make two statements on this on this point. One, I think the point is not what molecules you're comprised of, but what your DNA is. Yeah. Kind of like you have a blueprint for you. And that's by God's design. I think you will be that blueprint. And I think any parts of that blueprint that are still put together will be used. And God creating new molecules to make that blueprint is just not complicated. Yeah, he can just, yet. it's just, yeah. you know, there you go, solve a problem. It's yeah, just not a complicated can, if work. If he can raise you from the dead. He can right, right. If he can raise you from the dead, putting yeah. you back together yeah. is not a hard. Yeah. If he can create the universe just by speaking, right. putting your body back together is just not a complicated task. Yeah, and the reason I and, say that is because there are people that believe that they have to be buried. And so I would say, here's what I would say that you don't have to be buried to get to the other side. Historically speaking, the reason we buried, though, is because of our doctrine of resurrection. Not because it made it possible, but because it was an emphasis on, hey, we use our bodies. Our bodies aren't shells. They're us. And because we have a high view of the image of God and that that dead body possesses that image of God still, we do not desecrate it. We save it because we're going to use it again. And so it was a statement emphasizing our doctrine of both humanity and our doctrine of resurrection. So I personally want to continue that tradition. It's not a sin to get cremated. It's not a sin to be eaten by a lion. It's not a sin to drown in the ocean. Because And it's not a problem for God to put you back together regardless of how that goes. I like symbols. And I'm going to use the symbol. Um, but that, it's it's just a symbol. The, the creation today is on cremation. It's much more popular, but it's a financial it's thing. Most people for get cremated for financial reasons. Yeah. I might add that in the first century or two of the early church, an awful lot of Christians got cremated Yes. Yeah. In fact, that's what the word Roman candle is a reference to. Um, so, yes, God can handle that. And, you know, if you get cremated, it's not a sin. <laughs> Um, I like the symbol, and so I'm going to use the symbol. Terry says if I burn her, she's going to haunt me. So. And she will. <laughs> I believe it. In most graveyards, face east. They bury you facing the east. Well, the because the west. It, yeah, it's like here. <laughs> yeah, so that so. the resurrection comes from the east with the rising sun, that you would see it. Yes. Rise into it. And this should be <laughs> but you're looking you're an well okay all right all right yeah but i mean we meet him in the air so shoot up yeah. and over you don't want us to like shoot up and have to flip you know okay we're, we're getting deep there sorry okay we gotta calm down okay any, any other questions of a legitimate nature <laughs> big caveat there all right well i have enjoyed this one this was the super 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 fast version of this there's oh, go read first corinthians 15 excellent excellent chapter the whole point is the church was denying that resurrection and paul is trying to show how big a deal that is in that chapter and so read that john's gospel you'll see the resurrection everywhere i mean he's talking about that almost every time he's talking about anything somehow in john's gospel jesus is always talking about the resurrection in paul's gospel you see it his gospel in his letters you see it all the time and he'll say i want to attain to the resurrection my focus is the resurrection i'm looking 
to the end. He's focused on the redemption of our bodies, the, the, the restoration of creation. All of this lingo is his resurrection lingo. So once you see the resurrection, you'll realize that it's just everywhere in the New Testament. Even in the Old Testament, God's concept of I'm going to come back and restore order is really even a reference to the resurrection. And so it's, it's just a beautiful picture if you can put the pieces together and see Okay, well, let me pray for us, and we will be done. Father, we thank you for tonight. pray that you bless this concept in our minds. Let it bear fruit. Help us to think about it in a way that uh, transforms our thinking, that reorients our, our hope and our um, perspective. Our value system would be focused on the idea that you will raise us from the dead, and that we can set our hope on that, that our eyes can be fixed on the glory that is to come, and that can fundamentally alter the way we act in the world now. Father, I pray that you grant us transformation through this power of the Spirit, through this power of the resurrection specifically. God, I pray that you would help us to walk faithful to your purposes, knowing that we have absolute confidence in this power. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Good deal.